Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at Wake Up America show. Today is Thursday, October the 12th, 2023. And it's nice to see all your bright and smiling faces here this morning. Well, I wish I could see them. I'm sure you're all very attractive. Click like and subscribe to the channel today. If you enjoy the content that you're watching, we'll be glad to have you join us every Monday through Friday. The Wake Up America show streams live, baby, every Monday through Friday. Can you believe I do a five-day-a-week show? I get up voluntarily. I don't have a boss. Nobody's telling me to get up at uh, 4.30 a.m. to entertain you people. I do it because I love it, and I love freedom. So let's talk about that today. We've got some incredible topics, of course, and some amazing guests. This morning at 7.30 a.m. Central Time, Dylan Allman's going to join me. He's an old anarchist buddy of mine, and we're going to debate this morning some of his, my more controversial statements that I've been making this week on Israel and Hamas. No, Austin, saying something to stir the pot? No, I would never. Anyway, Dylan's apparently been quite disappointed with some of my takes on the Israel-Hamas conflict, and he asked if he could come on the show and debate me on it. I said, why not? It's It's been nothing to, but debates all week. Last night, I actually appeared on Elijah Schaefer's show uh, uh, as part of the new Censored TV, you know, the Anthony Kumia Network. Have you been watching any of the content over there? I love it. The stuff that he does with Gavin McInnes is very funny. But Elijah Schaefer had me on last night for uh, his show, Slightly Offensive. They did a debate uh, between uh, between myself and, uh, oh my gosh, Keith, I'm forgetting his name, Keith Woods? Can't remember the guy's name off the top of my list. It's, I was up late last night debating with the, <laughs> the guy anyway, talking about the conflict between Israel and Hamas that broke out this week. And it's another debate this morning uh, between myself and Dylan Allman from the anarchist wing of the libertarian movement. That should be interesting at 7.30 a.m. At 8 o'clock this morning, Camelia Peterson will be joining us to talk about Jada Pinkett Smith just embarrassing the hell out of us. Every time she opens her mouth, she embarrasses us again. Well, apparently a new revelation from Jada Pinkett Smith in an interview that she did with Hoda Kotob from uh, the Good Morning America show, which we should not talk about because, of course, we compete with them. Uh, the Good Morning America show, um, uh, Hoda Kotob's inter interviewed Jada Pinkett Smith, where she said that her and Will Smith have been separated since 2016, which is weird because, of course, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock last last year at the Oscars. So why? What's going on there? It's just weird, but it's also funny. And it also reminds us of why we need to talk about relationships. And I'm sure we'll be able to make Camellia blush at 8 a.m. this morning. We'll lighten it up a little bit before we go back dark again with Missouri State Representative Tony Lavasco. And we'll get a Missouri representative's take I'm a on the a Midwesterner's take on the Middle East conflict. Tony Lavasco will join us at 8.30 a.m. Central. We haven't talked to him in a while. We all miss Tony. But first of all, let's hear from our incredible commander-in-chief, who is completely and totally lucid and makes perfect sense uh, in a claim that he made last night regarding babies being beheaded by Hamas. Take a listen. I really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever... Anyway, I... Uh... What? But there are countries in the region that are trying to be of some help, including Arab nations <clears throat> trying to be of some help. So, uh, anyway. Really okay, wait a minute here. Uh, so, Mr. President, what's going America on? America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. 
So Joe Biden makes the claim last night that babies, he saw pictures of babies being beheaded, right? But the White House actually walked those statements back. Um, the White House had to clarify those remarks on the, quote, confirmed pictures of Hamas. White House has to walk back these claims. They saw children beheaded by Hamas. The White House has walked these back. Uh, after he says he describes seeing these images of mutilated children while he was having this meeting with Jewish leaders at the White House last night. Now, at the moment, the claims of babies being beheaded by Hamas are, well, they're unverified. The claims have been made by journalists and now have actually been made by the IDF. This morning I watched a video, and it's too long for me to play it for you here, a 10-minute video from the Israeli Defensive Forces that claimed that within a kibbutz that there were children who were being butchered, specifically that babies had been beheaded, and the IDF spokesman said that it looked like a zombie movie. Now, I, while I do morally support Israel in this conflict, personally, I don't automatically believe everything that they say, because as we all know, the first casualty in war is the truth. And we all remember hearkening back to the days of the initial Gulf War when the uh, daughter of an ambassador went before Congress and testified that babies were being ripped out of incubators and their heads were being slammed into hospital, you know, the bottom, the, the bottom, the hospital by Saddam Hussein's forces. And so we want to be very careful about not falling for potential propaganda. But it sounds as if our president has really fallen for propaganda. Let's hear what he, I, I, I think that it's not just the problem that he's wrong about this, but it's really the bigger problem seems to be his delivery. It's like he's not all there. Let's watch and listen one more time. I thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever... Anyway, I... Uh, but there are countries in the region that are trying to be of some help, including Arab nations that are trying to be of some help. Oh. So, uh, anyway. What is going on there? I mean, to me, it seems as if the president is continuing to deteriorate at a, is deteriorating at a faster rate than ever before, which, of course, leaves open the possibility of Jank Wager from the Young Turks running for president of the United States. Yeah, I know what some of you are thinking no, right now. God! No, God, please, no! No! Yeah, well, here's the thing. No. You don't really have to worry about it, and we're going to talk about it in a couple of minutes, but because Jank Wager was not born in the United States, so to my knowledge, he's not actually eligible to become president of the United States. We will talk about that in just a few minutes. I did want to mention one funny uh, story. Did you see the uh, the letter that was written by the student president, student council uh, at Harvard University? Well, this is hilarious. So it, it was they came out and blamed the attacks, the Hamas slaughter of children in, in Israel as necessary. But listen to this. The New York University Law School Bar Association president who penned that letter had a job offer from a pro-LGBTQ plus law firm rescinded 
after she had stated that the slaughter initiated by Hamas and Israel was, quote, necessary. Her words. This is, uh, this is just, you just have to laugh. Rena Workman, 24, black, uh, black woman, non-binary, uh, says, she's a black woman, okay. Non- <laughs> she sent a newsletter saying that the murder of innocent Israeli children, women, and citizens this past week was Israel's full responsibility. Interesting. Now, on Tuesday, the law firm Winston and Strawn, which they regularly highlight their work representing the LGBTQ plus community, said that their offer of employment to Rena Workman was rescinded. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, where's my all? Oh. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she effed around and she filed and she found out. Now, I, the I think I was reading sometime in the last twenty four hours that many of the students at Harvard who had signed on to that letter have started rescinding their sign on to this letter because they realized that that many of these Fortune 500 companies that typically hire students from Harvard are now coming out and saying that they will not be hiring any of the uh, students uh, f- who signed on to this letter blaming Israel for this um, for this statement. Listen, statement blaming Israel for violence. Okay, Harvard students apparently, they say, have been doxxed. Groups have continued to withdraw their signatures in the backlash to this statement. So what it sounds like is a bunch of leftards went and, and signed on to this statement thinking that there wasn't going to be any repercussion or backlash, but they're learning a harsh lesson that when will they learn? When will they learn that their actions have consequences? For those of you who in the chat who know what I'm talking about, you're probably enjoying it. A nice little joke, a nice little meme joke for you. Good morning. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Make sure that you click that like button and subscribe to the channel and uh, join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. We'll be very grateful to have you come and join us. One listener texted and says, Biden is not all there? Question mark. Talk about the understatement of the year. Yes, it's true. Uh, one listener also uh, corrected me about the network that Elijah's on. They said, good morning, Austin. Censored.tv is Gavin's network. He hangs with Anthony on Wednesdays. Thank you for that correction. Sorry about that. They said, and they also, um, FJB. So um, let's go, Brandon, if you will. Seriously. Yes, thank you for the text, by the way. One listener texted in last night, uh, this morning. Yes, sign of Jonah said, AP, you were excellent on Slightly Offensive last night. Great pushback on the Keith Woods narrative. A long day for you. Good job, brother. Thank you very much. I thank you. I thank you. I hate to brag, but honestly, I've never lost a debate. I don't know what it is, but there's some, and I didn't even take formal debate in high school, but I think it's because now I've run for president of the United States. I've participated in multiple long hours long debates hours and hours of public debates i've debated governors i've debated former presidents i've debated this and that i've debated just about everybody on everything and maybe it's just a gift i don't know what it is but uh maybe it's just because i'm i'm always right Hmm. (laughs) well we are going to have another debate this morning when my friend dylan allman joins me and he's going to talk to us this morning about uh, some of the comments that he takes umbrage with that I've had uh, regarding the Israel-Hamas conflict. We're going to get into that this morning at 7.30 a.m. Central Time. I'm looking forward to speaking to Dylan Allman about his views on this. One listener texted in, Corey and Callie. Good morning, Corey. 
He says, I was wondering if it was possible to get a discount code for the store. Heck yeah, Corey, you finally got in touch with me. For those of you who don't know, if you're a monthly subscriber to the Wake Up America show, the um, all monthly subscribers to the show aren't just like giving me money for nothing. You get something in return. We have monthly prize drawings and giveaways for merchandise at APForLibertyShop.com. And we also offer you guys a 20% discount. So if you're subscribed here on Rumble, or if you're subscribed to wakeupamericashow.com slash support, no matter what your support level is, you're going to get 20% discount. Uh, so if you're interested and in you, if you already are a monthly subscriber and you don't know your discount code, uh, send me a text message at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show 573-319-1586. Then you can head over to ap4libertyshop.com and get yourself some cool merch. All right, moving on. Well, guess what? Maybe we've got, uh, we're going to get, we're going to get lucky and we don't have to worry about Joe Biden being president of the United States next year again. We don't have to worry about his reelection because a new challenger has emerged to run for president of the United States. And here is his announcement. Take a look at this new challenger to Joe Biden and, and a listen to the new challenger to Joe Biden for president of the United States. Here it is. The part I shouldn't say. I believe that I am going. I, if I were the rule, uh, the benevolent dictator of the world, I would legalize bestiality where you are giving, you are you are pleasuring the animal. What? You see what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> okay. Why, why now? Why? Why did that happen? It's the dumbest thing it I've really said. is the dumbest thing you said. No, 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 I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because like, so there's wait, like, wait, wait, wait. This is this this is the wrong clip. This is the wrong clip. This is the wrong clip. Oh wait, here's the right clip. Sorry about that. Here's his announcement for president. So the idea is to create enough pressure on Biden, and here's how you get the pressure. One of the ways you get the pressure is. Everybody thinks that I have almost no chance of winning, right? And well, let's keep it real. Everybody knows that, right? They're like, oh, your name is funny. You weren't born here. You're a progressive. You're an outsider, et cetera, et cetera, right? If I get to 20 or 25, panic sets in. There's no question panic sets in because there's two things that happen there. One, the other candidates go, well, Biden is enormously weak, right? Number two is Biden begins to realize the handwriting's on the wall. If this Jank Uger, who probably he probably can't pronounce, has gotten to 25. The handwriting's on the wall. He's gotta go. And by the way, Anna, the reason why this is realistic is because there are a lot of people in Washington inside the establishment that are trying to get Joe Biden to drop out. We need to help them. We need to create that pressure. Okay, let me jump in. So the <laughs> Jake Wigger of the Young Turks. Announces he's going to be running for president of the United States. Now, what does this mean exactly? Well, what it means is, is that the Democrats are weaker than ever. And all I feel like the Republicans have to do is just not screw this up. I mean, listen, do you really think the American people are going to reelect this really guy? I thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever... Anyway, I, uh... <laughs> what is going on, Mr. President? And apparently Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, current candidate for President of the United States, is getting raked over the coals by DeSantis supporters for his comments on the conflict 
that he made last night. Take a listen to this. And then two nights ago, I read all of Biden's security people. Can you imagine national defense people? And they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. You know, I said that President Xi of China, 1.4 billion people, he controls it with an iron fist. I said, he's a very smart man. They killed me the next day. I said he was smart. What am I going to say? But Hezbollah, they're very smart. And they have a national defense minister or somebody saying, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack us from the north. So the following morning they attacked. They might not have been doing it, but if you listen to this jerk, you would attack from the north because he said that's our weak spot. Okay, well, so he's getting attacked by DeSantis supporters for calling Hezbollah very smart, which not quite exactly sure that's the biggest own in the world. But at this point, DeSantis supporters are getting pretty desperate. And a lot of them are starting to go to Nikki Haley because they think that she's the best bet now to take out Trump. The never Trump neocons are all more than happy to have the support from the DeSantis supporters as more and more people seem to be fleeing the governor of Florida and heading over to the Nikki Haley camp, but it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Let's hear from Mr. Uh, from President Trump on the situation with the money that's being spent, uh, taxpayer dollars that's being sent to Iran. Crooked Joe must take back and freeze the $6 billion right now. Take it back and freeze it, Joe. Freeze it, Joe, you dumb person. Dumb, 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 dumb person. Freeze that money, Joe. He doesn't know what the hell money I'm talking about. Freeze it, Joe. Freeze it, Joe. Crooked Joe must take back and freeze the $6 billion right now. Take it back and freeze it, Joe. Freeze it, Joe, you dumb person. Dumb, 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 dumb person. Freeze that money, Joe. He doesn't know what the hell money I'm talking about. Freeze. President, make presidents funny again, for the love of God. We've got lots more to go, of course, this morning. Yes, Jank Wigger running for president against of the United States against Joe Biden. I don't know what's going to happen with this, but I like that in Jank Wigger's announcement on Twitter that he's running for president. He's got a nice little community note down here that says Jank Wigger was born in Istanbul, Turkey, and is therefore ineligible to hold the office of president of the U.S., which requires that the candidate be a natural-born citizen. Cenk Wigger claims the Supreme Court would overturn this requirement in a slam-dunk victory. Wigger, please. That's right, I said Wigger with a hard R. Um, if you're just good morning, if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're glad to have you here. Grateful to have you here. Do us a favor and click like and subscribe to the channel if it's your first time here. We'd love to have you come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Let us know what's on your mind and send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show and let us know what's in your head at 573 1586. And I'd love it if you would just program that number into your phone so you can text us anytime, night or day. Again, one last time, that text line 573-319-1586. Well, according to the New York Post, Biden did not actually see confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children as he claimed. Now, I saw our friend um, uh, Studio over in the chat 
was saying, he, well, maybe uh, Biden was just aghast. Maybe the reason why he was having trouble speaking was because he was aghast at what he had seen. But he couldn't have been aghast at what he had seen because the White House said that he didn't see anything. But here's the problem. Maybe he, if he did see something, it's possible that he saw it in his head because he is going senile and he's demented. So he's seeing images in his head, but he did not actually see confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children, as he claimed, according to the White House, because we are all talking about this report that 40 babies were butchered over the weekend. Now, here's the, how I feel about it. I believe that's probably true. Okay. I, I, I'm willing to change my mind when the evidence comes out and confirms it either way. The journalist who reported this case, a woman by the name, uh, was the first person to report this. It was a woman by the name of Nicole Zadik. Uh, and she was the correspondent who first revealed Hamas's beheading of Israeli children. Now, she is getting, uh, she's getting raked over the coals right now for proof or evidence of the claims of the things that she saw. But here's the reason why I tend to believe it. Now, again, I could be wrong, and, and this could be propaganda. Uh, but I will say that a journalist typically is not going to take that kind of a risk with their career. If they're official propaganda BS artists, then they know they're going to be fine because they're going to go to work for the intelligence agency. Or if she's a, you know, if she's MI6 or if she's Mossad or, or CIA or what have you, then of course she's just going to go back to working at Langley in Virginia and, and her career will be fine. However, if she is a legit credentialed journalist, she knows that if she issues this kind of report and it's incorrect, her career will be destroyed. And it should be destroyed if it turns out that she's incorrect. But to have the president of the United States saw that he say that he confirmed and saw these pictures, these uh, images or videos, if you will, because no one has seen them publicly yet. It, it, the fact that the president of the United States is saying this is a real problem because it's more than just the possibility of war propaganda is the obvious obliviousness of the president of the United States. It show it is the weakness of the United States. And when you consider that we have neocons like uh, uh, Lindsey Graham and others calling for war with Iran, imagine if the United States did go to war with Iran. Imagine if World War Three did come. Let me ask you a question. And this is not a rhetorical question. I'd like to know, do you believe that the United States would actually win the next world war? Do you think that the United States is capable, not just in a military function, but just in a psychological, the psychological component that Americans are actually steeled and ready to be able to deal with the kind of conflict that people like Lindsey Graham and others are trying to rush us headlong into? Because I'll tell you this, I don't. My, that's my answer to it. I don't think the United States is ready for this kind of conflict, not just because of the woke military such as it is, but for many other reasons as well. I don't think the American people have the stomach for it. We see. I think we've grown soft. And it's, it's disconcerting to me that so many here in the United States seem to be trying to rush us headlong into another war in the Middle East. Now, Ben Shapiro has been trending, of course, every day this week with his con uh, his takes on the conflict, obviously quite pro-Israel, uh, and for a good reason. I'm also, I consider myself to be pro-Israel in this conflict, although I am very decidedly America first. However, I thought it was interesting that Ben Shapiro's comments here, uh, uh, criticizing Tucker Carlson and Vivek Ramaswamy, zeroed in on one aspect of the interview that I had actually missed between Tucker Carlson and Vivek Ramaswamy. Let's take a listen to this. And again, I, I want to add my voice to that because I'm a human being. 
But oh, sure you do. The you sound very outraged. The outrage among Republican presidential candidates was so much more intense. One of them took to a bullhorn and started yelling about it. I get it. But no one would think to do that about the yeah. 100,000 American young people murdered every year. And they because who are you yelling at? Who are you yelling at? First of all, people are on bullhorns yelling about drug overdoses and the open border all the time. All the time. What is he even talking about? What he's attempting to do is minimize what happened in Israel. He's not attempting to maximize what happened in the United States. He's attempting to minimize as though America can't walk and chew gum, morally speaking, at the same time, which is absurd. And those two things are nothing alike. I'm sorry, that is not alike. It is not alike for drug smugglers to smuggle drugs over the border, which someone then takes and shoves into their arm and then they dive in overdose. That is not the same thing. I promise you, it is not the same thing as a terrorist breaking into your home and murdering your children in their beds in front of you and dragging your wife off to be raped in Gaza. That is not the same thing. Pretending that it is, is immoral. It's a moral blight. It's idiocy. It's just moral stupidity at the highest level. Well, it's not moral stupidity. It's just non sequitur. It does not follow. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China, as you said yourself in that one, Ben? Obviously, Ben's quite emotional in this one, and I can completely understand why. However, looking at this with a sober, sane compass, I mean, I think that what the motivation behind Vivek Ramaswamy and Tucker Carlson is, is that they want to try and avoid getting the United States militarily involved in the conflict in the Middle East. And I agree with that. But Ben Shapiro is absolutely correct that it is an not it's not an apt comparison to talk about things like drug addicts in the United States compared to this terrorist attack in uh, in Israel. It is uh, non sequitur, if you will. All right. We've got lots more great content to go. We're going to have another debate. It's just nothing but debate, 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 debate. When I get back, Dylan Allman, self-described anarcho-capitalist, he's taken a lot of umbrage with many of the comments that I've made over the past week regarding Israel, Palestine, and the right of conquest, if you will. All right, we'll conquer all. When we get back from this commercial break on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Make sure that you click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you enjoy the content that you've been hearing and seeing. The Wake Up America Show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. It's a great way to start your day. Get their kids ready for school, but you still want to stay up to date with what's going on in the world, but you find yourself saying, I'm sick and tired of what I'm hearing from the mainstream media. And you know what? There's a lot of kooky weirdos in the alternative media as well. Finally, a sane, rational voice for liberty. That's me, AP for Liberty. So check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AP for Liberty. And of course, check out our awesome merch shop where you can get cool and funny libertarian gear at AP4LibertyShop.com. That's AP the number four, the Roman numeral. See, I got you thinking about the Roman Empire. AP, the number four, AP4LibertyShop.com. All right. Well, AP's had some pretty hot takes this week, none of which were hotter or inflamed the fires and passions of the anarcho-capitalist wing of the liberty movement than the tweet that I made the other day that said that right of conquest, losers pay. Hmm. What does that even mean? And you could take that a couple different ways. But, uh, an old buddy of mine, Dylan Allman, who comes from the ANCAP, as we call them, wing of the liberty movement, took some umbrage with what I had to say, and he's here to tell me off. Joining us now is Dylan Allman. Uh, wakey, wakey. Nice to see you, Dylan. How are you, sir? Doing pretty good. You seem like you're doing pretty good yourself, too. That's good. Good. Doing fine, Dylan. Why don't you just uh, introduce yourself, Dylan, and then give us your broad overview, your... Um, 
your hot take on the conflict that emerged when Hamas attacked Israel over the weekend. Yeah, so uh, my name is Dylan. Um, nothing too special there. I just kind of like to make posts on on Twitter and make a couple of blog posts here and there about things I care about. Um, but whenever I saw a lot of that stuff going on over in Israel uh, with Hamas starting to kill people seemingly indiscriminately, uh, obviously that's a huge problem. Um, upset me and a lot of other people, most people, I hope, um, seeing a lot of those really awful things that were going on over there. Um, didn't like what I saw, uh, that's for sure. Uh, the biggest issue that I typically have is people's response to bad things that happen um, by either when they go after and kill people indiscriminately. I don't necessarily think that it's acceptable to go after them and kill people indiscriminately around them. Uh, I typically feel like people have rights and rights to not be killed, to not have their rights infringed upon by other people. And just because innocent people may be in the proximity of people that are doing bad things, I don't think they necessarily have their rights revoked uh, where bad things can happen to them as well. Uh, I understand that it can get kind of murky uh, when it comes to war and responding to attacks. Uh, but, you know, it's just really a really difficult pill for me to swallow because a lot of times I feel like people who may be a big proponents of rights, of liberty, uh, might be sacrificing um, that in moments where they feel like it may be more practical to do something else uh, to try to stamp out um, some sort of aggressor. Um, and um, sometimes it kind of sucks to see people kind of sacrifice on their principles, um, which you may not be doing. I mean, I know you've had takes in the past that are very similar to this one, especially the, with the um, nukes that were dropped on Japan. Um, I guess I'm just curious where, where you're coming from with your perspective. Mm. And I would like to see if maybe uh, if you are being consistent with your, with your stated principles uh, or not, because it, it seems like yeah. to me there may be an inconsistency there. And that's well, kind of what I'm concerned about. If there is, right, I, I, I always fall back on my Ralph Waldo Emerson when I say is a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of simple minds. And, you know, as I've grown older, I've become I've become less enamored with consistency than I was as a young man when I prized consistency, because, of course, you can be consistent and be consistently wrong. Um, and, you know, I'm not an anarchist. Uh, I believe in a limited government that retains the ability to defend the individual liberty of its citizens. And essentially, that limited government should stay out of the personal and social affairs of the citizens, but that we need cops, courts, and nukes in order to defend those individual liberties from terroristic regimes, socialistic regimes, and communistic regimes around the world that do not respect our individual rights. My primary, um, you know, uh, uh, argument or my primary beef with the anarchist philosophy or theory as it relates to the liberty movement is that it appears as if their idea of national defense, when it isn't oftentimes actually praising dictatorial regimes, 
and rooting for Putin, if you will, which I know that you're not one, but I'm sure you've seen plenty of people who consider themselves to be anarcho-capitalists coming out in favor of Russia and the conflict of Russia and Ukraine, um, but and, and attacking the United States for their foreign interventions and giving Russia a pass for theirs, which, of course, I actually do believe that many people in the liberty movement are, prob- are very likely to be on the payroll of foreign intelligence agency- agencies, and many of them are spreading conspiracy theories that are actually sent to them uh, by their paymasters in Moscow and in Beijing. But that's a, a discussion for another time. That's my conspiracy theory. But on the other hand of things, when it comes to the anarcho-capitalist view uh, in regards to national defense, I think that the inconsistencies are really on their side. Because the only defense that I've seen, the, the legitimate defense that I've been able to, uh, to hear and see articulated, and this is not just me being hyperbolic, but it's uh, the defense appears to be one that is actual uh, advocacy for suicide. And what do I mean when I say that? Uh, that any, any form of defense, whether it be an individual defense or a national defense, if I'm defending myself as a person or if I'm defending myself as a group, involves the possibility that there may be what's known as collateral damage. And anarchists get all up in their emotions when we discuss this because they equate collateral damage to murder. But that's stupid because there's a difference between murder in the first degree and involuntary manslaughter. Collateral damage is something that would be considered at worst to be the concept of involuntary manslaughter. And I think it's um, it's intellectually dishonest to claim that one in the regards to the nukes, for example, that Harry S. Truman, his stated plan was to target civilians directly, uh, and uh, that as if that were the point of this, and and that's analogous to the conflict in Israel, where you see the Israelites will actually warn the civilians in the areas where they're going to be bombing to let them know to evacuate those areas and give them the opportunity to do so. Hamas didn't grant that same opportunity to the civilians that they attacked and killed at this concert. So the problem, of course, is that when you really get down to it, the fundamentalist problem with the anarchist view in regards to uh, self-defense is that there's no teeth in the the, uh, Gadsden flag snake, right? There's no ability to actually defend yourself. So for example, you know, if Hamas sets themselves up in a in a uh, in a hospital, for example, the only weapon that I have to defend myself with is a grenade or a bomb. Uh, I'm supposed to let them kill me, other than perhaps use this grenade, possibly kill an innocent bystander, uh, and, and kill the terrorist at the same time. So my problem is is that the anarcho-capitalist view of defense is one that is entirely suicidal. And it asks nation states to do the same, to commit suicide rather than engage in the type of defense that might involve a form of involuntary manslaughter. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I I definitely see where uh, you're coming from, from a practical perspective, and also that you're not an anarchist. So it can kind of be difficult uh, to engage in conversation with people um, when you're talking about nation states defending themselves. Uh, because anarchists don't really believe that nation states should exist at all. Um, so you're kind of operating from a different fun foundation. Um, so there can be a lot of, you know, confusion and, and convolution when it comes to conversations like that. Um, my question for you is you talk about your belief in that 
government's kind of sole purpose is to defend the individual rights of its citizens. Um, do you think it's important for those governments to also not necessarily protect, but respect the individual rights of people that aren't their citizens? To an extent, uh, to to a limited extent, though. However, and I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of um, of uh, a metaphor for this or uh, or um, uh, an example of what I might be talking about. But if this, if the rights of the citizens and the lives and the liberty of the citizens of the people who are paying taxes, who are being extorted to pay for the defense of these citizens, I think that the that that priority should remain with with its own citizens and not the citizens of a neighboring nation state, right? You shouldn't go out and indiscriminately slaughter civilians the way that, that Hamas does, right? And you shouldn't have the same kind of disregard for life that they have in China or in Russia, for example. But I think that the problem is, is that with what I've noticed with the anarchist view is that it's always America's fault, whereas America remains one of the last bastions of liberalism with a very intense libertarian movement inside of it. And that libertarian movement exists largely at the luxury of a government that defends it. In, in other words, we libertarians exist as a luxury in many ways in the same way that the Amish do, right? The mm -hmm. Amish, and they, get, they don't have to pay the taxes, but they do get to enjoy the largesse of the, of the nuclear weapons, and they become the free riders on this. But the people who came before us, the you know, Columbus or the Spanish who conquered the Aztecs, if you will, or or uh, the American settlers spreading out amongst the plains and coming into conflict with the Native Americans, they did not have the luxury of classical liberal or libertarian viewpoints. Theirs was an ideology, if anything, of survival itself. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't apply those these principles that we believe in, right? And I see it as a natural evolution that's come about because of the, uh, the cornucopia or the horn of plenty of capitalism, which has allowed us to have these views. But the mm -hmm. reality is, and I know you took umbrage with my statement about the um, the right of conquest the other day, and we should get into that in a sideways discussion here. But the reality sure. is, is that our our ideals exist somewhat in a form of luxury, because many other nations, they can't afford it. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree from a practical perspective that there are a lot of things that come at a luxury when it comes to living in such a modernized world. I mean, principles, but also not having to worry about if you're going to eat dinner, you know, later that night or being able to use chat GPT when there are people being bombed or just starving in different countries. I totally understand that for sure. Um, my question for you then is. You you talk about how you mentioned the right of conquest. Um, these principles that you're talking about that you uh, or that you say that, that, that we believe in and kind of like a broader perspective. Uh, what, what exactly is that? I kind of just want to like get at the, the, the root of this and, well, and the try root to of it. see where, where that divergent is, because I, I think sure. first of all, I'll, we kind I'll, of I'll, we have this disagreement later on, but I want to see where it diverges here. Well, I think that if you're really to get to the the heart of this, and we're really getting into big brain stuff there, which is what our audience really loves. If you like big brain time, make sure you click like and subscribe to the channel. Um, but I'll say that I'm, I look at this in the in the philosophical lens of like a deontological approach versus the pragmatic consequentialist approach, for example. 
So the, uh, I think yesterday I tweeted this about the difference between like morality and constitutionality. Now, I know you're, you're someone who would never confuse something being legal with it being moral. A lot of people do, which is why I try and point out how often, you know, it's not, it's important to understand that not everything that is legal is moral. So for example, um, something can be constitutional, but immoral. The income tax is a perfect example of that. The income tax is constitutional, but it is immoral. Um, uh, the Second Amendment is constitutional and moral. Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase was unconstitutional, but moral. And that is a consequentialist viewpoint. In other words, that that I think that the problem with the anarchists' approach on this one is that they take a deontological approach, meaning that they are always trying to apply their philosophy in every single situation and without consideration of the consequences of the decisions that they're making. One, throughout history, and this is coming back to what you were talking about, throughout history, that would have been a luxury for most people because whether it was using the nukes in, in Japan or whether it was Genghis Khan or Kublai Khan, uh, the, the conquerors of the past, many of these people were making decisions based on the best information that they had on the time. In other words, they had to pragmatically apply a consequentialist view to the challenges of the day. I spoke to Judge Andrew Napolitano about this yesterday, and he goes, he goes, Austin, the problem is, is that you're starting at the starting point of what's happening right now, when you should look at what happened, we should have applied our libertarian principles 50 years ago. Well, that's nice, but we don't really have the luxury, we have the luxury of hindsight. If we wanted to apply libertarian principles right, we're going to have to apply them, if they're not being applied, we're going to have to apply them right now in the situations and the conflicts and the struggles that we have right now. So the right of conquest, right? That is a, it, what it may be immoral. I think that there's a moral argument for it, but it is true whether or not we want to believe that it is moral or immoral. Perhaps there will be a day, a future time in, in human civilizations when, when people go to war with one another and there won't be any annexation or conflict that involves the loss or the, the transfer of lands. I think that's quite unrealistic. Uh, I think the right of conquest does have a moral aspect because if you attack me, I think restorative justice might mean that if you were to attack me, kill my children and try to kill me, but I kill you first and the only assets that you had at the time of your death in my, justifi in my justified moral and righteous killing, taking of your life might be that the restorative justice means that I get to take my neighbor's land because they killed my family they had nothing else other than the land that they owned. So in that sense, right of conquest, loser pays. That's my justification for it. One, it's true whether we like it or not. And two, it could be considered a form of restorative justice. I mean, to a certain extent, I think I agree. I think where we diverge is sort of collectivizing that right of conquest with the people that are around them. And I think that starts to get really murky whenever you start dealing with nation states, because it's a very easy situation and very easy to dissect whenever you've got just the one person going after the one person in their family. You know, you take them out, you know, their property's up for grabs. It makes sense. Okay, maybe that person gets it. 
you know, that's kind of easier. It becomes a lot more difficult when those two entities aren't individuals and they are nation states. Now the waters have gotten a lot more murky because it's not just one individual after another. It's a maybe a collective of individuals, but also most of that collective has nothing to do with the actions of whichever collective of people are in charge of or, or have jurisdiction over this area that's doing this thing. And so it becomes an issue for me whenever you start collectivizing certain groups of people, especially, especially when those groups of people aren't necessarily a part of that group consensually. What if they voted so for it? Start... What if they, but what if they voted for it, Dylan? What about the people who actually actively vote for and support the government? Like I'm hearing from my anarchist friends uh -huh. that just voting for something like the, the people in, 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 uh, in the West Bank, or excuse me, uh, in the Gaza Strip, who there are some who have actively vote, voted for and support the terrorist government of Hamas. And mm -hmm. they, do they not bear some moral responsibility? I mean, you're an anarchist, you believe voting is force. I agree with you, voting is force. Don't they bear moral responsibility? Don't the German people who voted for Adolf Hitler, do they not bear some moral responsibility for their behavior in, in using, not only choosing to use force, against their fellow citizens, but they've chosen to use force against the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't necessarily think that voting is force in every context. Um, there are definitely anarchists that do think that. Um, and I'm not typically a person that does go out and vote. Um, I like to think of voting more from the perspective of what Lysander Spooner talked about voting. Um, yes, if you vote for Adolf Hitler because you're like, I think that he's great, I think that him killing Jews is the right thing to do, and I want him to do it, and I'm going to ask him to do it by voting. I think that you absolutely bear a certain amount of moral responsibility for that action, and that's not okay. Um, somebody that may be ignorant of the situation, may be told their whole life, this is your right, this is your duty to vote, and they don't necessarily know what they're voting for, um, but they know this guy has said that he's going to take more of my money with taxes, and this guy is saying really good things, and they vote kind of out of self-preservation, and they don't really have any other options, and it's either I'm going to get screwed up or this person is going to get screwed up and I would rather not be the person get screwed up. You know, there's there's a lot less responsibility there because they're basically voting out of self-defense and it's not like they have unlimited options. You can't just go up to the ballot box and say I'm only okay with these things happening to me. I'm only okay with being represented about this portion of my life. There's a certain degree of separation when it comes to but, but, you can, but there is country. another choice. There is another choice, and that is to vote with your feet. What did Albert Einstein do? Aren't the smart mm -hmm. Mexicans who are who are, are aren't the smart Mexicans the ones who are fleeing from the cartel violence and running across the border into the United States? Aren't they the smart ones? Rather than trying to mess around with voting for a corrupt government and perhaps their votes won't even matter anyway, rather than trying to change the cartels from within, they're voting with their feet and they're taking great risk to their life 
and their liberty, crossing deserts, dealing with coyotes, having to, you know, risk the chance of possible uh, sex trafficking, being sold into slavery and things like that. But aren't they the intelligent ones? Aren't they the wise ones, the ones who have, have, the, have the wherewithal to get out? I mean, if, if, you're, if you're still sticking around, I mean, last night I was debating with uh, a groiper, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, he's taking the side of the, uh, the Palestinians in this conflict, of course, because he doesn't like Jews. But his argument was that, the, that Gaza was an open-air concentration camp. And, and it, it's news to me that concentration camps have the ability to uh, escape from, because while some people did escape from concentration camps in World War II, that was the exception rather than the rule. It's a misnomer, right? Because, because the people who are staying there in the Gaza Strip, aren't, they, many of them aren't staying there because they don't have any other choice. They're staying there because they want to. They're doing it as a big F you, as a middle finger to the people that they hate. And it's, it's, it's more than just a religious conflict, although I think that is a big part of it. And as a secularist, I sort of look upon that with disdain. And I wish that, you know, dispensationalists and those who wish for the end times uh, um, would back off and cool off and, and that we weren't so sort of, um, you know, tied down to these Abrahamic religions, which I think hold us back in a large sense. But if you look at it at a more meta level, even higher than the religious aspect of the conflict in the Middle East, you could look at it from a meta perspective of a clash of civilizations. And when you divorce yourself from the concept of good and evil, when you walk back, when you take a look at things from a, an even bigger picture, right? Let's say that, you know, that we're not Christians or Jews or Muslims or white people or Arabs and divorce ourselves from all these concepts and they've killed this many babies and they've killed that many babies, right? So let's just put that aside for a moment. And when you look at things from beyond the concept of good and evil, you see us, you see human beings as what we are, animals. And I say that not pejoratively, but descriptively. And when you have an, two, two types of animals that are, that are in conflict with one another, they're going to do what they believe is in their own best interests, and they're going to take whatever actions are deemed necessary to ensure the survival of their own species or their own culture or race or what have you and things like that. And so these things make a lot more sense. And, and I, you can't blame them to a certain extent. To, a, to an extent, you can't blame some of the Palestinians for their angst and their anger and their rage at the Jews. They shouldn't go, I mean, coming back into this moral framework of good and evil, they shouldn't go and, then, and murder children and commit acts of terrorism in such a way. And I think more, Israel has the moral high ground in this because when they kill children, it's on accident and they're trying to, they're purposely trying to avoid doing so. That's why I support them morally in this conflict. But again, back to the meta-analysis of things, you cannot ask people to commit suicide. You cannot tell people that they cannot use the tools that are necessary to ensure their own survival because, one, they're going to, you, 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 you'll never have their support, and two, they're probably going to turn on you. Uh, and and as, I, as we've seen, the American people largely have turned on libertarians. And I think that a big part of the reason why is because libertarians, to a large extent, ask Americans to commit national suicide and, and to essentially fight with hands tied behind their backs against evil dictatorships and, and communist regimes and terrorist regimes around the world. It's not to say that I'm for intervention or things like that, but there's a difference between saying we shouldn't be getting involved overseas to saying things like, it's America's fault. We need to, you know, get rid of the U.S. Navy and we need to have, 
uh, only militias defending the people of the United States against, you know, foreign regimes that are, you know, hell-bent on our destruction. So there has to be, in my opinion, Dylan, there has to be a better, not just collectivist idea of how to defend a collective, because I have the right to to gather together with my friends and neighbors. If I'm being harassed by a, by a group of thugs or gang members, I have a right to gather together with my neighbors collectively and perhaps pool our resources, buy a bunch of guns and you know, mount a posse and and ride against you know the guy the people who are riding in town and raping and looting our town. I have, we have the right to do that collectively, and individually, I have the right to do so as well. I I don't have to lay down and allow myself to be killed, uh, rather than take the possibility that if I fire a shot, it might accidentally hit an innocent bystander. I I think that that's insane, to be honest. Yeah, um, a lot to unpack there. I think just to address the first thing that you said, yeah, you definitely have the right to defend yourself accordingly. You definitely have the right to collectively come together and pull your resources and defend yourselves accordingly. Uh, where it becomes an issue for me is collectively pulling your resources, coming together to defend yourselves accordingly and believe in that accordingly portion uh, also involving uh, conscripting other people to either fight with you or to pool their resources uh, without their consent. And there, there's kind of a deeper conversation there. But I, I when you talk about things being America's fault and, and all of that, I think that there's no situation in which someone is completely absolved of fault. I mean, I'm sure there is, but especially when you're working with nation states, neither side is going to be completely absolved of fault. What you can do is just take a nuanced stance, be like, okay, hey, America may have provoked this, uh, but 9-11 isn't Americans' fault. It, you know, th that's ridiculous. I think that they still did what they did, and it's a problem. Um, I think there is a nuanced way to go at that. Uh, but to address your, your comment earlier, uh, with the voting situation. There may have been people within that area that have voted for the bad things to happen. Um, just like in America, if for some reason Joe Biden went out and, and started getting the military to do all these terrorist acts and everyone was like, oh my gosh, America's the worst, America's the worst. And they came at me or you and said, hey, this is your fault because you voted for Joe Biden. I'd be like, well, I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I know Austin didn't vote for Joe Biden. You know, in fact, less than half the country voted for Joe Biden. You know, uh, a third. What, what what is it like? A third of the country did. You know, so I don't can't, think but, that. Is, but but the problem is again, you're 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 labeling. They our enemies don't care, right? The people who the people who are being harmed by Joe Biden's policies. And are going to declare war against the United States. They ultimately they don't care because on the meta perspective here, Dylan, the problem is is that you're trying to you're trying this deontological approach to things, and I'm suggesting that you you might want to consider a consequentialist approach. We have to consider the consequences of Joe Biden being president of the United States. The good Germans, you, you mentioned, but the good but the good Germans before World War II, they left. The smart yeah. ones, the good ones, Ludwig von Mises fled Austria, right? The smart ones and the good ones 
they left. They knew when their government had committed such a great evil and was, was such a hostile force to the rest of the world that it was time to evacuate. And the ones who stayed, to a degree, were complicit, which is why I thought it was right that they took them and paraded many of those civilians out to the concentration camps after so they could see what they had, by, by their silence and by their acquiescence, maybe not even their vote, but by allowing that evil to occur in their midst, they bore some moral responsibility for that as well. Unfortunately, Dylan, I'm running out of time, and I got another guest coming up here in a few minutes, but I do want to give you the last word. If there's anything else you'd like to share or perhaps plug to our audience, uh, you can make your final statement now. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, I make tweets. You can find me on Twitter, Dylan, dot, or Dylan M. Allman on Twitter. I also post my blog, Interlinked. Uh, it's a fun time. Uh, you may or might not like the things that I say, but I just kind of say them anyways because it's kind of fun. It is what it is. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm down to come and talk about whatever at any time. So just let me know. It's a great discussion. Dylan M. Allman on Twitter.com or I guess X.com these days. Hey, thanks for having an open mind and for um, inviting yourself on my show. Dylan, invite yourself on anytime. Sounds good, man. Thanks. Glad to, glad to have you here. And clearly what happened. As far as what? You and I decided we were going to take our space and what happened. Yeah, and then I got into an entanglement with August. That's what I said. An entanglement? Yes. <laughs> yes. A relationship. Yes, it was a relationship. Absolutely. I was in a lot of pain, and I was very broken. Now, in the process of that relationship, I definitely realized that you can't find happiness outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Coming to the red table, so I'm in I'm in the Jada position right now. So okay. you know you during that time launched into an interaction mm -hmm. with August. What do you feel like um, you were looking for? I just wanted to feel good. Mm -hmm. There are so many surprising things in the book, but the thing that surprised me the most, that I actually had to reread it because right. I said, is this true? Right. Was that in 2016, you and Will decided that you were going to live completely separate lives. Yes. It was not a divorce on paper, right. but it was a divorce. divorce. So from the year 2016, which is seven years ago now. <laughs> yes. Y'all have been apart. Yeah. What the hell is she talking about? That's Jada Pinkett Smith talking about her not ex-husband, but split from husband, Will Smith, who apparently slapped Chris Rock in the Oscars last year for what, nothing? Uh, anyway, someone shared yesterday a video of Jada Pinkett Smith. Now she has the freedom to be with Tupac. Here she is with Tupac's ghost. <laughs> when we go back, we'll hear from Camelia Peterson on that subject on the Wake Up America show. And don't forget, Tony Lovasco coming up at 830. We're going to have another discussion about Israel Hamas. But let's get away from the darkness subject. Have a good laugh. When we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad to have you here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to click that like button and, and subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content that you're hearing and seeing this morning. Glad to have you here. We'd love to have you come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. You can watch this show and hear about all the latest in economic freedom and personal liberty. It's a great way to talk, to meet friends, 
and to just have a good time in the morning. Sometimes the subjects are dark. Sometimes they're a little bit more fun. Uh, so if you like a little bit of freedom and fun in the mornings, we'd love to have you come back and join us. I do have to give a big thank you to Sign of Jonah, who dropped $10 in the tip jar this morning. Didn't want you to think I didn't see. Thank you very much, Sign of Jonah, and thank you for supporting this channel. If you'd like to become a monthly subscriber, you can get 20% off at APForLibertyShop.com. By becoming a monthly subscriber, you get entered into monthly prize drawings for awesome gifts from the merchandise shop. And a few months ago, one of our listeners who's a monthly subscriber won an actual AK-47. Pretty awesome. No, not the keychains that we sell at the shop. An actual AK-47. Of course, it was chambered in 9mm, but I actually think those are kind of fun. To be honest, I wanted it for myself, but I decided to give it away to you fine people. So, become a monthly subscriber here at Rumble.com. Get a 20% discount, and perhaps, who knows, one day you might win your own firearm for us. We appreciate you very much. All right, well, Jada Pinkett Smith, so damn annoying. Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith apparently separated in 2016, according to this latest interview. I don't know. Let's get the celebrity gossip queen joining us live right now. Camelia Peterson, who joins us every Tuesday and Thursday here on the Wake Up America show. What's up, CJ? I, I'm in Louisiana. Good morning from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what are you, real quick, give us the update. What's going on in Louisiana? So, Jamie Marie Pope, who, by the way, I met in the uh, live stream chat of your show, started off as the radio show at that time. Uh, and we are now uh, best of friends. And she is running for office for House Rep in Louisiana. So, they have the jungle primary here. And so, the first round is this Saturday. So, I have not gotten to come down and knock doors for her yet. And so, I am here to knock doors for the last couple of days and hopes and thoughts and prayers and whatever you have to <laughs> offer, like that she makes it through. I think the way it's always very confusing for me. So, the next round is like November, some, but I think that either if one person gets 50%, then it's just that person that goes through. There's no Democrat in the race. So, it's like easy going from there. So, but, you know, the top two otherwise will get it, but she has a five-way race, so it's almost impossible to predict. So it's, you know, there's some anxiety going on. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And there's a lot of anxiety going on in Hollywood these days. I don't usually like to talk about celebrity news unless it has some kind of tangential uh, consequence to the types of relationships that, that the rest of us are all struggling with. I think in this situation, it probably is. There are some, some analogs, if you will. Uh, of the Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, as it seems to be that their marriage is um, degradating in front of our eyes. Can you just give us kind of the brief Reader's Digest version of what's going on here and why we're talking about them? Well, we all saw the drama, you know, for what was it, 2022 at the Oscars and, you know, Will Smith slaps Chris Rock and gets banned for 10 years and, you know, all of that. And Apparently, though, she, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith has this new book out. And so I really do think that these are ways that they have to try to stay relevant in some ways. I mean, like, is I was just thinking about that. Isn't that terrible to have to try to put your private life on public display to to maintain your relevance and to keep feeding your audience? Like, I, I think that would be terrible to live like that. But anyway, she is and has fully embraced it. And so, according to her, they've been separated since 2016, just not officially. I don't understand. So the problem with that, of course, is that like they've been giving all these public talks and appearing in public together like everything is fine, despite the fact that, of course, Jada did have a revelation uh, a couple of years ago where she sat down uh, with an interview and 
very publicly sort of embarrassed Will by talking yeah. about her affair with this young man that was a friend of her son's. I mean, it's kind of entanglement. Gross. Entanglement. Like entanglement, right? Mm. Like that makes it somehow better or, you know, more sophisticated. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Does it count if it's scissoring? Anyways. Oh, cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. What I thought of, anyways. So, <laughs> so she, I mean, so know, they say they're separated since 2016. But why does Will Smith smack Chris Rock across the face? I don't know. And here's, you know, one of the things in the interview that she said that, and I think this is probably a lot of it is that you know he probably was not really wanting to accept that. If, if I had to guess, for a long time, because men uh, often are you know slower to to accept that separation. And it really sounds like she was just kind of yo-yoing him along. And she said, you know, when they when she asked her why um, their marriage fractured, he said she said, well, it's a lot of things. But she said by the time they got to 2016, they were just exhausted with trying. And she said, I think we were both kind of still stuck in our fantasy of what we thought the other person should be, which, you know, that's that's a whole other thing to unpack when it comes to to relationships and our expectations of the other person. Um, and said that she, but she said that she has considered a legal divorce, um, but that, you know, she made this promise about, um, you know, about being married and staying married. And so she was determined not to break that promise. And I just, you know, I, I guess I don't, that makes no sense to me. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, I would be curious about uh, unpacking your thoughts about unpacking how people who are married have like this sort of made up idea of who their partner is in their mind. Can you explain that for us? Well, I think this is a tendency we all have is that we tend to project our own desires of what we think that person should be onto them. And that's our image of them in our minds, whether or not that's reality. And so it just, it sets up a lot of false expectations and you get these, um, a phrase I learned not too terribly long ago, covert contracts, where you have this, this expectation of that person and you think that they owe you something based on, even though they've never committed to that, you know, or anything like that, but they owe you something based on your expectations of them. And, is, you know, we have a tendency to, um, to want to let ourselves change and grow and um, expect you know the other person to just be right there at the same time at the same place right along with us and people don't people don't grow and change at the same rate it, it strikes me as uh, with you know, getting into this relationship with jadis and and will smith it, it strikes me as if it's a at least an emotionally abusive relationship whereas she seems to be abusing him. I, I don't know. You probably don't watch or listen to a whole lot of celebrity news and gossip, obviously. But when it comes to the way that she talks about him in public, she never talks about Will that she doesn't also mention her relationship with Tupac Shakur. That happens all the time. Can you imagine being in a relationship with someone and whenever they talk about you like, oh, I really love my husband or I really love my wife, but I really got to give props to my ex-girlfriend or my ex-wife or whatever it is and or my ex-husband or something like that because boy we really had something special and, and if he wasn't killed i'd still be with him today <laughs> oh my gosh okay by the way props to katie uh, in the chat for <laughs> for saying that jada pinkett smith was the only bullet that tupac dodged <laughs> oh that was hilarious <laughs> yes jada pinkett smith was, was the only uh, one that he dodged well he yeah he, he definitely did not dodge very many bullets unfortunately so 
I mean, the thing is, I think everybody expects Will Smith because he's this big movie star. He's out there. He's larger than life. He's a man's man. And I think that um, there's just this implication that he's also, that makes him like alpha male. And that's not necessarily the case. And so I was just thinking, even though I'm a little fed up with the red pill community right now, uh, I do think Will Smith probably needs some red pill therapy. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so you're fed up with so, the well, red pill community. Okay. Well, so here's here's something, by the way, when I was reading through this interview that really jumped out at me, and I was like, I, my eyes got rolled out of my head. So uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, you know, was talking about how that, you know, their relationship was like this roller coaster ride from the depths of suicidal depression to the heights of personal rediscovery and the celebration of authentic feminine power. Like, what the heck is that? So, I mean, like, there's your, you know, billionth red flag. It, isn't Jada Smith sort of like the concept of female empowerment taken too far? Yeah, I think so. I mean, everything is all about her. Every time, it's all about her. Right, and and but I mean, specifically in that, that it's that she seems to think that it's acceptable to publicly emasculate her husband, which I think is analogous to what we see coming out of Hollywood and commercials and television about yes. how men are treated so poorly. She really is yes. sort of the prime example of that, isn't she? She is. And, you know, this is something that has been going on for decades. Um, I can remember my dad when I was a kid talking about TV shows and how they ran down uh, men and fathers in particular. They always portrayed the father as kind of dumb and you know having to be guided along and whatever. And so this is, I guess, so I guess because of that, I have had this awareness of this issue for a very long time. And we, I mean, so it's, it's been a long time coming and I think that that's been the, uh, like, why do we have to do that? It, for, for feminism, you know, why do we need to put down men in order to elevate women? Um, and honestly, you know, some of the original feminists were opposed to that. They were opposed to feminism at the expense of men, because like that's if women have to to get their rights and be empowered at the expense of men, is it really being empowered? It's a great question. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're glad and grateful to have you here. The Wake Up America show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. And if you're listening to us later, we're glad to have you as a listener. But we hope that you come back and join us sometime in the mornings. It's awesome to be able to make friends just like Camelia has done. She's down in Louisiana right now with a fellow Cantina crew member. That's what uh, our friends call themselves in the chat. So drop a comment and a like and introduce yourself in the chat. You never know. You might make a friend. You might make a girlfriend in the chat. But you can also let us know what's on your mind and send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the Wake Up America show anytime, night or day, at 573-319-1586. We are going to talk to Tony Lavasco here in about 15 minutes or so on this show and get back to the Israel-Hamas topic. But for now, we're talking about dating, marriage, relationships uh, between men and women. So it's very heteronormative this morning, the discussion, Camelia, if you will. I don't know. I imagine gay people probably experience this, but probably even like even worse to some degree. But when you involve the genders in it, you know, the 75,000 genders, it just, it overcomplicates things in my mind. But yes. what, what, why are you upset with the red pill community? Why are you sort of backing away <laughs> from the, the people who are standing up for men's rights? 
So I've been muting different people left and right um, on Twitter X. And, uh, you know, funny, they keep popping up because my friends keep engaging with them anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Twitter keeps suggesting them. But, you know, I just, there's so much of it that just goes to the extremes. And I get it. And we, you and I have talked about this, that in order to kind of make that change that you have to, you almost have to hit all of the extremes. There has to be like, you have to like throw up the um, the most extreme comparisons and you know what this is what is happening that we see with women and feminism and these are the results and the crisis of masculinity. The problem I've had is you remember you talked a few weeks ago about how there's been this backlash amongst conservative women, and we've talked about how that you know some of those conservative women are also feminists. They don't really recognize it. Thing is, it's like I've seen some of those women that have been pushing back. And they don't fit neatly into that box. And I think they're pushing back for the same reason that I've started getting fed up is because I can know that I may be the exception to the rule, you know, of what how women normally are today. Um, and, you know, they can know that. I can know that in my head all day long. But when you constantly see and hear the barrage of negativity and women are terrible, and if you're over a certain age, you're invisible. If you're under a certain, if you're under that age, you're crazy. So like, by the way, men, if that's the case, like, what are your options? Uh, good luck with that. But th this <laughs> well, like- Well, see, that is the problem. Isn't that the actual right? problem okay. here that men, right. that men actually don't really have that many options to choose from? I mean, if anything- so, but if that, the thing is, if, like, I kind of agree. If, if they're find... if they're too young, if they're young, they're crazy. If they're old, they're no longer uh, pure and don't have the the ability to bear children. So I mean, oh, in that Lord. sense, I guess that's why the red pill community exists. Is it? Does it not? Sure. Okay, but here's the thing: if you're looking to actually find solutions long term, first of all, you need the women who are aligned with you on this issue. You need them on your side. It's you true. need them going into this with you. And if you if you um, make them irrelevant and you demoralize them by never recognizing that they're with they're with you, yes. Um, I mean, like, I, like, I think it's gonna like, fail. For example, I'll just say hey, you're right. You're right. Stephanie, she loves Pearl. She loves <laughs> Pearlie Davis. She thinks she's very funny, and she 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 agrees with a lot of the things that she has to say. Maybe not, you know, that women shouldn't vote or different things like that. But, you know, she kind of gets the joke, right? There's some trolling going along here to a certain extent. There's a lot but, of trolling. <laughs> right, right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. One of the reasons why I chose Stephanie to, to marry is because she lived in a closet, you know, in, a, in an apartment with her mother most of her life and only ever had one boyfriend. In other words, in other words, she was not she had not had 75 boyfriends before me she had maintained her innocence right she she was she's she's there's not a mean bone in stephanie's body right no, how not. Th there's not a mean there's nothing mean about stephanie okay no. that is the exception rather than the rule yeah. most ladies almost said bitches most bitches be <laughs> At mean they be they're like they're like jada pinkett smith present company excluded of course this is why we're friends camellia because obviously you are an exceptional woman you are the exception rather than the rule and i think that 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 in many ways that helps you but it also hurts you because you you tend to look around at your fellow women and think oh they must be thinking and acting the, the same way i am and that's that's not true uh right and, and stephanie is a very exceptional woman not a mean bone in her body uh and 
the way that she looks at the world is quite innocent. So fr- frequently when she comes on a fa- on Freedom Family Friday, she's she has no clue. When I when I bring up some very mean pop culture reference or something like that, she has no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Remember Friday, last Friday, I said I said there actually is a good kind of a, uh, there is a good communist. And she's like, no, no, there's no good communists. <laughs> and I was like, no, there is at least one. Whereas most people's minds, if they had the Jada Pinkett Smith mind, would be like, the only good communist is a dead communist. Yeah, fuck them. Eh, you know what I mean? They'd be like Jada Pinkett Smith, right? They got a mean bone in their body. So I, I, I guess the, the, the problem is, is that what well, the reason why I brought up the Jada Pinkett Will Smith thing is that I, there's a lot of Jada Pinkett Smiths out there. There are very few Camellias and Stephanies. There's very few ladies who act like ladies who don't emasculate their men, who don't uh, embarrass them in public, who don't go out of their way to talk about ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriends who don't have 75,000 dudes uh, in their past and all this. So, so I, I see Will and Jada Smith as like, you know, a symbol of the cancer that's affecting our society. But the blame primarily lies with women. Oh, okay. So, well, okay. So here, how about this then? Yes. <laughs> so, if the blame primarily lies with women, and I'm not saying that a lot of it does it, um, but yet we like to say that all of these women now have daddy issues. Uh, yeah. Like, what's what's been going on with dads? Like, you know, we have this 1950s ideal of the American family, and mom and dad dad goes out to work mom stays at home and cooks and cleans and takes dad's shoes off and whatever you know and it's like the idyllic family life and if that was working and that was reality and that was working so well what the heck happened because you know train of a child in the way that they should go and when they're old they won't depart one from it right right it like raises a whole lot of questions so you know, I think the reality is in there's, you know, a lot of debate about whether or not divorce is a good thing or not. And I do think it's un, like undeniable that stable families are just you, incalculably better for children than not. I mean, there's just no debate about that. I think that what a stable env- family environment looks like can differ. But, you know, there are also a lot of kids who have come out of marriages where you know, mom has been the nag and she's like ran the dad down all the time. Dad has responded in anger, maybe passive aggressive anger. And so there's this dynamic that kids grow up with in the household. And I remember even in my, you know, late teens, early 20s or whatever, um, you know, when you would hear even now, I guess, too, you know, you hear women talk about their husbands and it was like no big deal to, you know, talk about all the bad things he does and, you know, all those kind of things that, I was not raised like that. Like this was, um, you know, I, I never. You should uh, never was, talk bad about your husband or your no, wife in public. I never to people. Did but that I see that happening all the time. It's, yes. I mean, it's not just Jada Pinkett Smith. I see people, I see women posting crying TikToks about their, their boyfriends and their husbands and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, girl, if he will never marry you when you do that kind of stuff. It's like, I, I remember like, I I remember there were girls that I would be attracted to back, you know, in the day. And when I would see, I would actually, I would look at their social media and a good, va- a good, strong, high value man who's seriously considering you as a partner is going to do exactly what I did. You know, me- women aren't the only ones who spy on social media, by the way, on mm-hmm. every single aspect of their lives. But if I would see, I would see, you know, pictures of her ex-boyfriend, I would see how she talked about the, the men in her life. Right. And I would see 
you know, if she, if I saw that she was disrespectful or if I saw not just that she was disrespectful, but if I saw her talking publicly about personal details of her life related to marriage, even if there was like comments, sometimes they'll just like in comments on social media, that was it. No, no, no. That, that was a sign that I, that you have to stay away. I think a lot of women don't know that they are placing themselves out of contention for a, for not just dating any man, you can, any woman can get a date or whatever with any man hook up or whatever, but a good man is going to recognize those things. And you're placing yourself out of the dating pool for good men when you do that stuff. For sure. And I mean, you know, the sad thing is, is that, you know, the, it's just, it's cyclical. It just perpetuates the cycle because your kids see you do that and they think that's normal. And that's not, I mean, that's not normal. It's not healthy. Nobody, uh, nobody likes to be taught. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't expect that of our friends. Like, would you want a friend who runs you down behind your back or in public or around other people? Like, would you do that to your friend? But no, nobody's going to do that. Um, you know, so why would you do it to somebody that you're spending your life with and that you're trying to do the hard work of maintaining a day-to-day -day relationship with? I just, it's really unfortunate, but it's very common. And I think it's, it's probably a lot of the reason why we see so much broken um, in our culture today is because of those relationship dynamics. Stuff. Camelia Peterson, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go today? Nope. Just have a great day and get out there and do something besides uh, be a keyboard warrior. <laughs> yeah. And how about you make a donation to Jamie Marie Pope of Louisiana for her final yep. stretch of her campaign? Pope for LA. Pope for LA. There you go. The good Pope, not the bad Pope. Appreciate you, right. CJ. <laughs> Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much. Camelia Peterson, what do you think of CJ? Send us a text. 573-319-1586 is the text line. All right. Well, we got Tony Lavasco, Missouri State Rep. Tony Lavasco. He wants to weigh in on the Israel-Hamas conflict as a liberty-minded Republican who actually holds a seat in government. Can you believe it? Here in the state of Missouri, we'll hear from him on the phone when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. It was 1946. A battle was fought, not overseas, but right here on American soil. The Battle of Athens. An intense struggle against election fraud and for the rights promised by our founding fathers. Driven by the Second Amendment, ordinary citizens stood tall and fought back. Help us expose this momentous battle of integrity and bravery. Your support can make a difference. Visit givesendgo.com slash bleedamerican and pledge your support. Because we believe in the power of truth, the strength of unity, and the spirit of we the people. Let us not forget, we bleed American. Fire.
Hello, this is Barack Obama, and let me tell you why Austin Peterson stinks and you should never pay attention to anything that he has to say. First of all, he's a libertarian, and we all know libertarians are idiots. They don't realize how important government is to everything that we do. I recently became aware that Austin has opened up a libertarian shop at apeforlibertyshop.com. Now, I'm asking you as a personal favor to me that you never, ever visit apforlibertyshop.com. With all of the great Liberty merchandise there, the last thing that we need to do is to get people spreading this message around the country because then they might start thinking that they don't need government. And that's the last thing that good Democrats like us want. So if you love democracy like me and hate freedom, then don't visit AP for Liberty Shop. Like I said, whatever you do, do not visit AP for Liberty Shop. I'm Barack Obama, and I approve this message. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson, and you're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Thank you to Rumble.com for putting this on the front page today. We appreciate that. Boy, the show has just been growing like crazy, and a big reason for that is because of the features that we've gotten from Rumble. They are the free speech platform for shows like these. Why don't you show your gratitude to Rumble.com and click like and subscribe to the channel. Every time that you like and subscribe, a show like the Wake Up America show or another show that's on rumble.com, you're not only supporting us, you're supporting free speech platforms like rumble.com. Also, it's a good time, possibly, maybe make a little investment in the stock. That's not financial advice, that's activist advice. It's a good idea for us to pool our resources together and support companies that support what we believe in, and that's economic freedom and personal liberty. All right, well, back to the dark topics. I know we've got to get away from the celebrity gossip. I know you guys really love talking about Will Smith and Jada Smith, but Camellia always does such a great job of handling those topics, doesn't she? Let's give it up for her. Obviously, the conflict in the Middle East has blown up news coverage this week and heavily divided people of all different groups, ideologies, faiths, and, and nationalities. And the question, of course, is how do Liberty Republicans feel about it? How about people who actually have elected seats in office? They have a moral responsibility to tell the truth. They are servants of the people, after all. And one of the best servants of the people of Missouri is State Representative Tony Lavasco, who's joining us live on the phone right now. Good morning, Tony. Thanks for joining us. Good, Good morning, Austin. Glad to have you here, Tony. It's been a while. Uh, we're glad to have you back here. Uh, so for those who might not be aware, State Representative Tony Lavasco, he's from the St. Charles area of Missouri. He's an elected Liberty representative. What, which term are you in at this point, Tony? So I'm halfway through my third term, so I've got one more left before term limits kick me out. Uh, and are you glad that this these term limits are in place to kick you out? You know, I am. I, I don't want to go. I, I like it there, and I like, like the work I, that I do, but... I think the reality is we've got far more folks that are working against people's in interests and liberties than than those that are working the good fight. So uh, term limits do help to to call the herd a bit. So there, good, good to know, Tony. Do you want to just give us your broad overview take on um on the conflict that has emerged in light of the surprise attack that Hamas initiated against Israel over the Jewish holiday? Oh, 
I'm not sure it's possible to to boil this down into a couple sound bites. I mean, we're we're talking decades of history here coming to a head. Uh, you know, it, it's frustrating because you like any major conflict and any terrorist attack. Uh, you know, the aftermath uh, right afterwards is filled with speculation. It's filled with, you know, people's opinions being presented as facts. Uh, you never really know what to believe because, you know, you're not there. Uh, you know, I, I think what we know is that uh, the, the, what happened over the weekend was an atrocity. I think we've seen uh, a massive change in uh, the status in not just Israel, but I think the entire Middle Eastern region. And I think it's going to have real effects on, you know, America and the upcoming presidential election. I think this is going to be a, a very big change to how we look at uh, international failures in general. And I don't think we know what this is going to turn out. I think there's a, a lot of uncharted waters coming up here. No, for sure, Tony. And, uh, you know, foreign policy is not the purview of uh, a state representative, right? But obviously you look at things from a broader lens. Do, are you, do your libertarian or your liberty-minded views, do they inform this conflict in the Middle East at all? To an extent, I think it's difficult because you've got so many assumptions that we make here about how uh, folks should interact, uh, what property rights mean, uh, that sort of thing, that kind of underpin uh, a lot of the the conflict uh, uh, genesis, I suppose, uh, over in the Middle East that really just don't apply in the same way. Uh, You know, the the, the idea that uh, we would have folks here uh, fighting over uh, ownership of land uh, is a little bit different, right? We have the the concept of individual property rights in a way that they really don't in Israel. Uh, there's a lot more collective ownership there, and then the concept of you know historic people's uh, rights to to colonize the land is, is a completely different idea than what we've you know grown up with here in America. So you start try to to kind of use our uh, uh, mindsets to to apply it over there, and it doesn't quite fit, right? Uh, that being said, I think, you know, when you start talking about, you know, the libertarian concept of individual liberty and the right to life and, you know, the really core concepts, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's pretty clear uh, that, uh, you know, killing civilians uh, without uh, measure is is completely unacceptable. And, uh, you know, what happened here in the last several days is is just insane. One of the big problems that I have noted uh, with people who generally share our ideas in the principles of liberty uh, and I'm certainly I'm getting raked over the coals for this for you know suggesting that Israel and the Israeli nation state and the uh, the terrorist group Hamas, I'm suggesting that they're not morally equivalent. But what I hear from a lot of people in the United States who claim to share our stated principles, Tony, is that they seem to claim that there is a moral equivalence between Hamas and the Israeli government. Do you agree, disagree with this concept? Give us your your take. Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what comments you're referencing. Uh, you know, I would certainly say they're they're not on the same playing field. Uh, absolutely not. Um, you know, have the Israelis in, in the past committed some acts that I, you know, would, would not defend? Absolutely. I, I think most governments have, right? I think governments as a whole are, you know, pretty well by definition a necessary evil. Uh, and so, you know, whether you can justify it given the circumstances or not doesn't necessarily mean that you can condone it. Um, but that does not create an equivalence uh, between, you know, a government who might have overstepped and, and, you know, pushed boundaries in ways that we might not find appropriate, you know, and a terror group that is is existing effectively uh, to target civilians and to commit atrocities. So, uh, you know, you, you can't say that the same thing. Right. So my problem with uh, the idea that they are morally equivalent is that Hamas specifically targeted civilians and in kidnappings. The Israelis, they don't conduct 
operations, surprise attacks during Ramadan in Gaza and the West Bank, and then kidnap and kill scores of civilians. It's not to say that the IDF hasn't killed civilians, but there's a difference between murder in the first degree and involuntary manslaughter, is there not? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I think we do have to be careful. And I do think that, you know, this discussion, uh, you know, is, is ill-timed, I think. Uh, much like after 9-11, uh, anytime you've got a major atrocity, the aftermath is not going to be filled with rational discussions and analysis. It's going to be very emotional. And it is easy to get wrapped up in, you know, the fervor of, you know, got to do whatever it takes to to get get revenge, to go after the bad guys, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's, I think, where a lot of times you do have overstepping where, you know, you've got in the zeal to, to do what's necessary, uh, you, you do lose a little bit of your, your moral high ground and your values. And, and, you know, I certainly hope Israel doesn't do that, uh, but I could certainly understand if they did, right? I mean, it, it's, it's very, at, a, at an emotional level, completely understandable uh, that a, a reaction might go too far. Uh, you know, I can't imagine what they're going through right now. But, you know, sitting back from our easy, you know, violence-free perch here in Missouri, uh, it's very easy to look at that and say, yeah, you maybe shouldn't cross those lines. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're grateful and glad to have you here. If you're enjoying the conversation that you're hearing right now, then click that like button and subscribe to the channel and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time here on the Wake Up America show. We'd be glad to have you here. I'm speaking to Missouri State Representative Tony Lavasco about the conflict between Israel and Hamas that has broken out in the Middle East. Now, obviously, emotions run high and, and, and tensions are at a fever pitch here. But my biggest concern at the moment is not necessarily what Israel might do in the Gaza Strip, but my biggest concern is what people like Lindsey Graham and other neoconservatives might do here in the United States. What about you? Yes, look, you know, I think the, the media coverage of the aftermath of this is very clearly aimed at riling up uh, the American people to, to get support for some kind of U.S. involvement in one way or the other. Uh, and we've got guys like Lindsey Graham who lead the fight on involving us in yet another foreign conflict that are going to put our men and women in danger uh, and more than likely just make things worse in the region. Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll have some restraint here. And uh, I guess we're in good shape in the sense that, uh, you know, the House of Representatives is uh, uh, rudderless at the moment uh, due to the issues with uh, former Speaker McCarthy. So uh, perhaps that will slow down the uh, the, the, the panic. Uh, at the same time, you know, we've certainly seen an awful lot happen with executive action over the last several decades. So, you know, I wouldn't put it past Obama from just making a decision on his own. So, you know, I guess we'll see. No, I mean, President Biden doesn't seem like he's all there, at least in my opinion. To, to, what about to you? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, I, I think the the it's interesting. We're going to see a situation in which uh, the United States is going to be called to be a leader in uh, helping to to navigate these issues in the Middle East, and you know we've got a guy who you know can't get through a press conference without uh, you know changing the topic randomly or or completely forgetting what city he's in and whatnot. Uh, you know I, I think that unfortunately we have uh, for the last several decades uh, kind of positioned ourselves as the the mediator of all conflict in the world, uh, whether that makes any sense or not is a separate discussion. Uh, but I think the reality is we do kind of fit that, that, that position at this point, and we are going to be expected to lead, and we don't have someone currently in office that is capable of doing it. What do you think is the, the necessary response to, one, what Israel should do in retaliation to these attacks over the weekend, but 
What should be done is about the Gaza Strip? It, it, it appears to be a, a cesspool, a, a dangerous area to live, and a, a place that constantly provides security threats to the nation of Israel. I mean, if this was something that existed like in the United States, you'd think people will be, you know, outcrying against it. Um, but of course, we can, <laughs> there's a lot of problems that we have on our own southern border as well, and nobody seems to be willing to do anything about that. But I imagine that if the uh, if there was a coordinated terror attack across the border of Mexico, the people of the United States would be crying out for blood and for something to be done. What do you think should be done? You know, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, you know, if you'd asked me that question, you know, a couple years ago, I think I'd give you a completely different answer. Uh, you know, I, ideally, coming up with a, a solution that would have a long-term peace uh, and allow for some coexistence would be, be fantastic. Uh, I don't know that that's possible at this point. Uh, you know, I, I, the the fact that the elected government, uh, from, from what you know, if you want to call it that, um, uh, and all the Palestinian folks uh, was responsible for this. And, you know, whether you want to recognize them as a legitimate sovereign nation or not, I mean, the reality is these are, are folks that were presenting themselves as, uh, you know, duly elected. And we all know that, you know, elections are not necessarily uh, quite so secure in those places. But regardless, the, the, the image remains that this is not a rogue faction of folks, you know, going off and, and doing something on their own. Uh, they, they represented the people uh, in this region. And you can't negotiate under those consequences. You know, that, that I think Israel's declaring war was appropriate. Uh, you know, you might have some contradictoriness of declaring war against an organization you don't uh, recognize exists. But regardless, I, I think they had no choice. Uh, I think that this is an act of war, and I think you're going to see what comes from that. And I don't think that you're going to have a, a lasting peace uh, probably within our lifetimes at this point. Tony, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to set up a, a scenario and wind it back to this conflict. I hope you'll be patient with me very briefly as I sort of explain this in order, so I can understand your thoughts on this idea. But I wonder how you feel about the concept of restorative justice. So let's say, for example, Justin Trudeau, uh, the fascist dictator of Canada, declares war against the United States, and they invade, and they kill, and they loot, and they pillage, and they rape all across the northern border, and the United States fights a protracted war until finally we conquer the evil Canadians, sending them back into Canada where they belong. But, but, in compensation for that war of aggression that they initiated, the United States decides to annex the uh, territory of Alberta. And we take all the, uh, the territory of Alberta, including the oil that exists there. Is that a form of restorative justice that you think is appropriate in a situation like that? And uh, could that apply to the, the Gaza Strip, for example? Would annexation ultimately be the, most, the, the best chance for peace? Ultimately, that the Gaza Strip just becomes a part of Israel in the real-world scenario. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on this concept of restorative justice uh, and having to turn over property or land in these kinds of situations. I think there's a couple of questions. I think the concept of restorative justice at an individual level works pretty well. Uh, you know, if somebody steals your car and, and you know, you find out who did it, you don't want your car back, right? And if, if they can't provide you with a, a replacement right away, uh, perhaps part of their punishment needs to be restitution of some kind so that you can get another car. Uh, I don't know that it works so well on a collective front. Um, you know, I, I think as a practical matter, yeah, I think you're probably right that ultimately uh, the only way that to, to keep peace in the region is probably going to be to, to physically separate these people 
Um, but uh, you know, as far as how that would look and, and the mechanics of that and, and doing it without human rights violations and, you know, that's, that's the scope of a question. I can't even begin to fathom how that would work. Um, you know, that said, I think, you know, you can't necessarily expect on a philosophical or moral level, individual civilians to pay the price for the mistakes of their, you know, elected or unelected governments. Why right? not? Why not? Uh, they, you know, why not? They voted for it. Maybe not. I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you didn't uh, vote for Barack Obama. Uh, at the same time, Barack Obama, you know, conducted how many dozens and dozens of airstrikes that killed civilians in the Middle East? Uh, are you, you know, responsible for those, you know, people's children's deaths? The and, people who voted you know, for him are. They the decided pe- to take your property. Like, is right. that but acceptable? The, I don't think no, you fixed it, right? but, but no, but the people who voted for them are absolutely morally culpable. I mean, if you think about it, the people who voted for Adolf Hitler and the Nazis they they absolutely deserve the firebombing of Dresden and the destruction of their cities and and you can hear the problem of course the problem of course is that you know we don't have bombs to the largest unless you're talking about those drones that you just mentioned that can differentiate between the good guy and the bad guy and i guess my problem with the sort of looking at everything trying to looking at everything and say oh well this person's innocent and that person's not is that if the bad guys set themselves up in a hospital or set themselves up in uh, in some other place where civilians are located and they start firing at me and the only bomb, the, the only thing that I have is to fight back is a grenade, a- am I supposed to let the bad guy just shoot me so that I don't, if I threw the grenade, I might accidentally hit a civilian? It, 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 my problem, of course, Tony, what I'm getting at is that it, unfortunately, it seems as if like the many libertarians view of defense is essentially just commit suicide. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think you absolutely need to be able to defend yourself. And I think that, you know, that right does exist as, to a certain extent in a collective fashion as well. I mean, a country is a, a group of individuals and, you know, you do have to protect the collective. Uh, and certainly in war, you're going to have collateral damage like that. That is unavoidable. Um, I do think there's a huge distinction, though, between your example of you know, some some guys shooting at you from from a hospital wing and, and you having to toss a grenade to, to protect yourself versus, you know, launching a cruise missile, you know, at them from, you know, 10 miles away from your your bunker. Right. Um, you know, there are times that you got to make those calculations and you can't know for sure, uh, you know, who might be involved in, in the area that, that might be noncombatants. I mean, again, it's, it's not possible. Uh, I'm not saying that you you just don't engage. At the same time, I do think that you have to be careful about extracting vengeance upon a you know, population in hopes that they will pressure or otherwise turn against their governments that, that you know, you're, you're, you're quarreling with. Uh, in this case, of course, as I said, it, you know, Hamas is not really a legitimate government. They might be elected sort of. It, it, it's kind of a mess and it's not necessarily as clear cut as when we went to war with Germany, right? So, uh, you know, I think these are a lot more complicated measures than people on social media are suggesting. I was having a debate the other day with my friend John Miltimore, who is the managing or uh, editor at large of uh, uh, Foundation for Economic Education, you know, fee.org. And um, I was actually kind of shocked when I heard him say that he thought that the Louisiana Purchase was wrong, morally wrong, because it was unconstitutional. And... uh, I, I think sometimes libertarians, when it seems to coincide with like our ideology or our views, they apply this deontological approach to things rather than a consequentialist mm-hmm. one. In other words, that sometimes I think libertarians make the mistake of, of forgetting that sometimes small harms that are done 
are necessary in order to achieve larger goods. So in other words, not everything that's constitutional is moral, right? The income tax, right? Perfect example. That's constitutional, but immoral. But Thomas Jefferson buying land in the Louisiana Purchase was unconstitutional, but moral. In other words, sometimes you have to do the right thing, even if it doesn't necessarily coincide with what Murray Rothbard said in 1978, right? I mean, at some point in time, like our gut instincts have got to supersede what somebody wrote in a dusty old tome in the 1930s. Well, sure. I mean, libertarianism is not a cult. It, it shouldn't be a, a religion. Uh, you know, the, the guiding principles that we apply to government uh, are intended to protect individual liberty, right? That's the whole purpose of this, this movement. Uh, you know, the Constitution is one tool that is used to protect individual liberty, but it is not the the Bible. It's not the, the be-all and end-all. Uh, and it, it gets it wrong. I mean, we had slavery in the Constitution, right? I mean, it's not, you can't pretend that a document that, that is written by men in an attempt to govern our, our worst impulses is going to get it right all the time. And, you know, well, it's in there, so we can't do anything about it. No. Um, does it, that mean that we just disregard the document and, and do what we want because, you know, it's just convenient? Well, no, you, you do have to, to follow the, the rule of law and, and your, your procedures that you've created as best as possible. But, you know, certainly in wartime and situations where you just don't have any other options, uh, you're going to have to push those boundaries. And I, I think that's appropriate. So if you were Thomas, uh, whether if that you, means if you were Thomas Jefferson, would you have bought the, uh, the great state of Missouri that you're a representative from for pennies? <laughs> Pennies on the acre for from uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a strong feeling on that. Probably, I, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't. If we, if we're at a point in the libertarian movement where discussions over the Louisiana Purchase are taking any amount of our our time, we have either completely detached ourselves from reality and have no concept of how far behind we are in this fight, or we've just completely won. And we, you know, we just have nothing else better to do. You're right. Which you're one right. of those do you think we're at? No, you're right. Which Tony. scenario do you think we're at? No, you're you're absolutely right, Tony. It, it, my, I guess the reason why I bring it up is just because I think it's it's an example of you know where I think that sometimes that libertarianism sort of exists as a luxury of the modern age because the people who came before us didn't have the luxury of being able to enforce individual rights in the classical liberal sense. And I have to ask myself. Would I really want to live in a country if, if the people of the late 1800s had lived according to libertarian principles and, and had not decided to continue to, to manifest their destiny across the United States, if they had not engaged in American expansionism, there would be no Missouri, there would be no California, there'd be no Nevada, Arizona, there'd be no Oregon. And uh, I think arguably the expansion of the American country across, from coast to coast has resulted largely in what Thomas Jefferson wanted, which was an empire of liberty. But that came at the expense of the Native Americans, Tony, did it not? Absolutely. And I think that's the question here. And I think yeah. I think as applying it to Israel, I think it, it, it's very relevant, which is, you know, at what point do you make the ends justified the means argument, right? Um, I think everyone that is rational agrees that there will be scenarios in which you're going to have to walk down that path. But the question is, do you do that, you know, as step one, as step 20, as the last resort before you're going to be killed? I, I don't know. And I think that's that's the, the tough thing when you start bridging philosophy with the real world is you can't necessarily plan things out based exclusively on, you know, how it should be on paper, because that's not how the real world works. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Tony, you've always got such great take on these things, uh, and you say them so so civilly and so cautiously that you avoid the kind of hatred and venom that gets spewed at me on a daily basis. But I do invite it because I am a shitster. State Representative Tony Vosco, anything else you want to share with our listeners or plug before we let you go? Well, you know what? I'm going to have an election next year. It's going to be my last one. I could use all the help I can get. If anyone would like to lend a hand, you can go to helptony.com. Helptony.com. That's really easy. If you go to helptony.com, you can make a generous donation to one of the few Liberty Republicans out there who's in government. That's helptony.com. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Austin. Thanks very much. What do you think of Tony Lavasco? Send us a text at 573-319-1586. Tony did a great job. What do you think? Give it up for Tony Lavasco. Hey, you want to do me a favor? Check out ap4libertyshop.com. Time's running out to get your Halloween stuff before the 31st, before we all get into spooky season. And do you really want to pay a lot of money for some elaborate costume that you're only going to wear once a year when you could get an awesome shirt that you could wear many more times a year? No Lives Matter shirts. We're running out of them. So you better get one today at ap4libertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four. AP4LibertyShop.com. Did you like the show today? What do you think? Give us a like. Click that like button and subscribe to the channel before you leave. I know we got a lot of busy parents out there who are getting their kids ready for school and they're like, oh, I like that show, but I want and I want to watch it tomorrow. But oh, I forgot who uh, that guy was, and I don't know how to find him anymore. And then I'm just gonna go watch something else. We want to get you back. Join us tomorrow. Click that subscribe button and then click the little, little like button real quick. And then we'll see you tomorrow here on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com.